Hi, it's Karen from See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. We're the podcast for parents with young children, and we know that life with kids is messy, but we're here to celebrate those messes, from spilled milk to emotions spilling out of little volcanoes. And you know what? We really believe in you. You got this, and you're not alone. I just want you to know a little something about your host. Karen Deerwester is an educator, author, and all-in cheerleader for kids being kids. Karen has been a corporate spokesperson as well as a reasonable and reliable voice for kids and parents in print and on TV, on NBC, MSNBC, NPR, Parents Magazine, and many more. Best of all, Karen leads the parent-child classes right here at B'nai Torah Congregation of Boca Raton, Florida. Get ready for some fun a ton of encouragement, and maybe a little inspiration. Today's podcast is on the parent response to hate and anti-Semitism. With increased frequency of bomb threats and anti-Semitic vandalism around the country, parents are faced with the heart-wrenching challenge of protecting their children and trying to explain complicated adult subjects to very young children. This includes the fear and anxiety of preschool lockdowns, and evacuations in JCC preschools around the country. As of two weeks ago, the FBI is investigating at least 54 bomb threats at JCCs in 27 states, with 11 new threats just occurring. Our friends at PJ Library have been sharing valuable resources for parents and families. As we've been sharing these with parents, I knew I needed to have this conversation to help us all to stand together, to feel the power of community, to struggle out loud with anxiety and fear and to find some strength and power together. Today I have three powerful allies at the square table with me who are trying to create hope within our homes and communities. I have Senior Rabbi David Steinhardt, Alana Ostroff from our local PJ Library, and a dad of a school-aged daughter at a Jewish day school and a toddler son, Dylan Jovenet. One voice from the Boulder JCC reminds us that before talking to children, we need to take stock of our fears. No one wants to create fear and panic in our children. But then another JCC parent said, what we know in our head is different than what we feel in our heart. How do we begin so we can be the grown-ups we want to be for our children? I'm passing it to you, Rabbi. Help. Well, I think... uh... The, the question's a really good question. That is, how do we begin so that we can be the grown-ups? Because there's a lot of stuff that, out there in the world, um, whether it has to do with this particular issue or many other issues, that we protect our children from, and we don't even enter into the conversation about it with them until they're ready for that conversation, until they hear about it, until they are mature enough to handle it. I, I always think with child-rearing, it's a big mistake to to what's it referred to as TMI, to give them too much information mm-hmm. when they're not prepared for it. So as adults, our responsibility, first and foremost, is to create secure environments, to make sure that the schools that we send them to are properly protected and secured against the whatever may come up. Here at B'nai Torah, as you know, we have a very serious security um, procedure, and we have a lot of security guards, and we take it really secure. We take it really seriously. A quarter million dollars of the synagogue budget is spent on security. That's a huge number. 
But nothing else makes a difference if we don't secure first. The very first ethical demand in Judaism is to take care of yourself. Yeah, yeah. So that's where it begins. And it's a very think, tangible responsibility to protect. Sure. And so just as the institution knows it has that responsibility, every parent should be aware of it and should make sure that they and should, should ask the, the proper questions so that they know they're bringing their kids to a secure place. And I think, and I will say, I mean, we've gone through the whole staff here, the educators, the synagogue staff, we've all been through active threat training. And when that happened for us last August, I felt, wow, I don't have to go through the world feeling like I could be a victim at any time. I felt like I have a reasonable response. I can be a protector for myself, for my classroom, for my parents, for my children. I can be an anchor in a storm. And... Even better, I'm a better citizen. I can go to the mall. I can go to sporting events. I can go to airports and know, you know what? I am part of solutions wherever I go. And so that sense for me, but that's my head speaking, mm -hmm. because as we've been now living a, a, a school year of being prepared and and thinking those thoughts, my head's like, okay, I got adrenaline, I got strategies. And then my heart goes, uh-oh. So I feel like that's where I needed this conversation today was to say, let's bring heads and hearts together or let's know as a community, as families, how do we be there for each other when somebody's feeling emotionally vulnerable or when something triggers something and then let head and heart come back together. Dylan, you have two children, um, school age and, and toddler. How do you feel like you can ask the world to protect them? Do you feel the world is protecting them as your partner in some way? I, that's a good question, too. Um, I, 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 you know, my study of history, of human nature, um, you know, I, I, humans haven't changed in a couple thousand years, really, ever. So I, I am concerned about certain cycles of history repeating itself. I think... We have a, a couple of, we're fighting a two-front war, my generation specifically. Uh, the, the first thing we need to do is guard our flank and protect our children and protect them from age, inappropriate information. And I agree with that. It's, it's, I think it's incumbent upon me as a parent to make sure that she is not, you know, the vagaries and the dramas of life. I'm going to protect her from all of that until, you know, until she's ready for the world. This is Lila. Tell yeah, Lila Jovenet. She's, uh, she's uh, eight years old, and she's second grade at Donna Klein. Uh, and I have a son, Teddy uh, Jovenet, Theodore Jovenet, who's, uh, who's almost two years old. He's, uh, you know, going to be coming here soon. So, uh, so I think we have to protect them and shield them. That And, and plus, I don't want to bring that kind of drama home. I want, you know, you, you need to have a stable home life as a child. So, so you know, it's, all, it's also, if, if they do hear about it, it's an opportunity to, to learn how to handle these types of things. I mean, humans, you know, things happen in life, you know. Uh, these are cycles. These things happen in cycles. How to handle that. But I think more importantly, and, I, and, I, and this is a rallying cry I'm using to people of my generation, this is like our battle. This is incumbent upon my generation to really get involved in a very serious way. Uh, but responsibility in some way, wise. like when when this all started, whatever the, the way they're describing it in the news in terms of waves of, of anti-Semitism or waves of attacks uh, on people that are different or people who whatever the the causes. I felt like, wait a second, I work in a Jewish community. 
we know this. We've we've sworn for decades never again. But all of a sudden, mm. that phrase got lost on me. But, I'm like, I don't yeah. know how to live never again because I don't want to live reacting to I, I, that whole phrase ended up with a million more questions for me and I'm going to both rabbis going like help like does never again mean stop it here stop it here well, the stop battleground it here. the battleground has changed Karen so basically the, the the narrative and framework we use to govern this society Western civilization post World War II that people have gotten old. They've added that the new generation. We've been protected. It's changed. Yeah, it's yeah. different. It's this different. There's a new us. generation, new framework. So as Jews, we are facing a completely different battleground in terms of people's perception of Israel and all these things. I think a lot of Dem- you know a lot of people looked at uh, Israel as a victim at one time. Now they're looking at. So it's going to take sophisticated, long-term right. counter organization so propaganda, etc. Specific about where you feel the the mantle for your generation, for young families, young parents um, in a different world where, where there is a different kind of risk or reality? I feel that we need uh, to, be, to get together as parents and uh, discuss how to organize to face this new reality. I don't think that Jews in mass, at least. I, well, we're all getting reaccustomed, reclaimed to, to, you know, to this new reality. I think we have to understand that the world has changed, yeah. and we have to come up with a, a plan for that. Yeah. That's the responsibility, I feel. And I have one more question before I put Alana on, who may choose to speak as a mom and may choose to speak as a, as a PJ library representative. Um, you said you want your, your children protected, as Rabbi said, sure. from misinformation, from too much information. Sure. Um, what's how, what's the news reality in your house? What do your children yeah. see here in the car, here yeah. in conversations? I, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't let them have any access to propaganda of any sort. So I understand the news business. I understand the economics of the news business. I understand what they're selling. I get all so that. So you guys so are not plugged in, tuned in. There I am. Public, no, 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 no. There aren't broadcasting When, when, when I was her age... We were what? I was terrified of the nuclear weapons. I mean, the, yeah, the news course. was on in my house, and I used to have nightmares about that happening with Russia. So I don't want to give her those. Um, she'll have plenty of time for that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a big conscious choice, and that's yeah. a, that's a really significant one. Little dreams and drabs, presidential elections, things like that. You know. Yeah. I have a question for you, Dylan. Yeah. Because you began your comment by saying that you know people have not changed. Humans, nature. Human, human nature has right. not changed. And then you, t- then you mentioned that there's been a lot of change. So how do you see the change? Well, what I mean by that is that human nature in aggregate, humans are driven by fear, greed, power, you know, certain things. But generationally what happens is when, when one generation of thinking and, and framework and knowledge passes off in a new generation, the new generation doesn't understand what brought us to that, let's say, post-World War II generation. So the human, the same things that govern the human animal, that hasn't changed, but there's a different framework, thinking framework, on top of the human animal right now. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Okay, Alana. Welcome. Thank you, Karen. Um, I'm a parent also, as you said, of a, of a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old. And so they're getting to that age, um, as Lila's younger, they're getting to the age of um, 
of asking questions and starting to to see what's around them. And unfortunately, I say they're getting there. They're not there yet. Um, but you know, a lot of what what Dylan just said, as as we're starting to explain things and hear things, these are our teachable moments, and these are the opportunities as you have the moment to take the moment, um, if it's appropriate and if it's right, and if you choose to turn off the TV at that moment and and shield them because we we want to still we want to protect our children, and if they really don't need to know something, then if it's not going to affect them at that moment, um, then you know we, we have to we have to figure out how we want um, how how we want to approach it. Um, we, we have to in our new generation of we, we have to really keep our guards up. You know, I, there many parents have actually said to me before in conversations they've said, you know, we just got so complacent mm-hmm. and everything was fine and my children are in a Jewish day school and they're protected by the armed guards outside, so we don't need to um, we don't need to worry about anything. And I think that we can't be complacent. And, and and you said, you know, in our Jewish institutions, we also, at the Jewish Federation, we've had our active training, you know, co- uh, meetings and trainings and um, active, uh, all, all of these um, things that we've gone through training-wise, we can take them as people in our world. We go to the mall with our children. You know, we know how to protect our children, but not everyone does. And not every parent who works in the Jewish community gets that opportunity. Um, you know, so we have to, um, I'll just share with you, I had an event last week and, and at every one of our events we have now hired extra security just to be there. And a three-year-old child came over to me and said, and I don't think about it, it was second nature to have the security there. And a three-year-old child came over to me and he said, he says, he said, thank you for having the police protect me, mm-hmm. you know, and it was just, it, it hadn't, but, but all of a sudden, so they see that as the protector. They don't necessarily know why. There's so that's a parent a who's done their job. Exactly. That was the moment that their parents said, look, they're here to protect us. So. Yeah. And that's not a negative. I mean, the kid obviously right. felt secured right. by virtue of the fact that somebody arranged to have a policeman mm-hmm. there. Good job. You know, that's what we have to do. It's the Mr. Rogers. When mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. pain, suffering, heartache in the world, find the protectors, find the helpers, mm-hmm. and help children see no matter what happens, we have a lot of grown-ups and resources and people that are going to be there to help you, to protect you, and to, and to solve any problem that comes up uh, again. I don't want to belabor a point, but I, I have to emphasize this. Uh, please forgive me for, for that, but that's a defensive strategy by nature. And, you know, Napoleon says you can't win a war fighting behind the walls of your castle. So just the, the concept of protecting yourself is a defensive strategy. I think we need an offensive strategy. You know, again, you know, information, informing these schools, getting on campuses, propaganda, count, countering propaganda and things of that nature. And I think it's a 10, 20 year fight. OK. Well, I, I'd like to say something about that. And, you know, when we began, we said well, this won't be a political conversation. We don't want it to be a political conversation. But the reality is that this outbreak of, of anti-Semitism and threats is a function of the last um, of the presidential election, what was spoken, the emergence of a of right wing hate groups in our society, and the ineffectiveness of our current leadership to be able to address it. So that uh, that offensive strategy then is to make demands upon our leaders to be able to speak out against this properly and to begin to place anti-Semitism 
where it belongs. So we anti-Semitism has existed almost as long as the Jewish people have been here. And there have been different forms to that anti-Semitism. We have faced it for political reasons, nationalistic reasons, religious reasons. We have faced it because of Christians, because of Muslims, and because in, in whatever role we play in it also. The question then is, so we have to, as adults, the adult community has to understand it, and we have to make demands of both ourselves and the people around us to put it back in the box where it belongs. And, and I think taking the action out there and do saying... You, I, you know, do you actually think that's an alt-right thing? Forget politics, it's irrelevant. I'm completely independent. I, I, these are humans, uh, whatever. Um, but do you think it's an alt-right thing? Because I see, uh, you know, on the left, the Democratic National Par Committee in 2008 almost booted uh, Friendship of Israel off the platform. I see virulent anti-Semitism in college campuses fueled by pro Palestinian propaganda. And of course, they have a right to speak their mind. But I can't say that. I can't agree with that. I can't say it's all right. Well, I can't. Then, I, and I see I'm both. Gonna, I'm going to put the pause on this. Yeah. Um, and I will let give you statements if you want to just put up <laughs> fact statements onto the podcast. Uh, well, um, no, but I think it's important for me to respond to one dimension of that question. Historically, anti-Semitism has come from the extreme left and the extreme right. Of course. So right now, the anti-Semitism that we're seeing that's being that's coming out with the, um, at least in terms of what we understand from the FBI, is coming, uh, a lot of it is coming from the more extreme right-wing groups. Mm -hmm. There's no question that there's stuff from the left also. And it is not a simple, it's not a simple issue. Mm -hmm. So we also have the role that Israel and uh, anti-Israel sentiment plays in anti-Semitism. And we have to be able to deal with the nuance of that. Because mm -hmm. sometimes, not all critique of Israel is anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. And yet a lot of uh, people have tried to place critique of Israel into that box yeah. as being anti-Semitic. I see your point, so and we, I, I agree with you. Yeah, so we have to be yeah. really careful with these conversations. Yeah. We owe it to ourselves. We owe it to the adult community to be, to be critical in our thinking about this sort of stuff. Thank mm. you. Thank you. And I want it, I mean, it's clearly a cultural yeah. moment. Um, mm. and, and the other thing when we were planning the podcast is, you know, I wanted it to be even bigger than anti-Semitism because when we do our interfaith events, it's very clear that the children who are at the, that the, at the mosque schools are having a different experience. I mean, mm. we're sitting here saying we're protected, that our children are insulated, um, that they do not feel the hate, but it's not okay that, mm. that, the, that last fall, the children at the elementary school at the mosque are saying, why do people hate us? You know, why yeah. are we getting bomb threats yeah. daily? Why are we getting fo harassing phone calls? So there's a, there is something much bigger than anti-Semitism here. Mm -hmm. uh, in the last two uh, weeks, a Muslim in St. Louis was killed, an Indian. Uh, another was wounded. And in Seattle, a Sikh was killed. Um, um, and it's we're, we're a part of that hatred. In other words, we're, it's in that larger picture. Yeah, Just yes. I'm affirming what you're saying here. Um, it's, it's all happening. As a rabbi, I am most actively engaged right now in conversations with the Muslim community and the Christian community. Mm. So yesterday I sat with a number of Christian clergy and Muslims, and we spoke about a program that we're going to be doing. It's a, a, it's a rally against anti-Semitism and hatred that the Muslims are putting together. 
And the Christians were sitting there, and I said, you know, they have to be in this conversation with us. Yes. It's really important that we're mm. all in this together. This is so much bigger. Mm. Than, I mean, this isn't something That's we... Very I, and so I, that I, makes me very happy. And I like what you said about taking it to the offensive, which which does take it to a public mm. space. Yes, it does. And and it does get us into messy mm. conversations. Mm. And so, yes, I mean, my, that, that does need to be yeah. said. As a, as a rabbi, so a Jewish clergyman, my offense is about creating programs Absolutely. about coexistence and cr- opening the dialogue with the leaders of different faiths. And, and everybody today is suffering. Everybody's suffering. I mean, I wanted an LGBT spot at this table. There's there's so much that I want. I have friends with interracial children who are being targeted in ways that have never been targeted in 20 years. So there's a lot going on. But Uh, now... We don't have the corner on suffering. We don't have (laughs) it. We like to think we do because it makes us special, but we don't have (laughs) that. But I, I want to come back to something Alana said, because it gets to that emotional spot that I'm struggling with, and I don't want to make this about me, but I'll just shape this conversation this way for the moment. And that is when you said, uh, I don't remember what, oh, you said we have to keep our guard up. And there is this sense of awareness, and there is this sense of being informed, and there is this sense of being proactive. But, but a frightening thing to me is that there's a consequence to that, and that is I remember hearing something from the, let's get political, from the gun lobbyists that said they had created, and, and gun, I'm, I don't want to go there, but, but, but that <laughs> there was this sense of creating a public message of we live in code yellow. That threat is imminent. It's, and that keeping our guard up changes how we communicate, mm. how we respond, how we perceive. And so yeah. how, and so I don't, and it, it also keeps us all in a heightened state of anxiety. It also so, moves us a degree closer to danger. That's right. That's exactly right. So that's danger. my next question because I think I've seen our code yellow in my little tiny family time classroom as we, as they know, and they're proud to come to a school and a community that is willing to protect them and that we are trained with. Mm. But now when a PA announcement comes over, they go, is something happening? Mm. There's a new edginess Mm. to our work, to to my very personal mommy and me, daddy and me, grandparent and me world Mm. that changes us. So I'm throwing out, I like all of your response to anxiety and how do we stay informed, yeah. responsible, offensive, but not be hurt or hurt our children or our families in that process. Xanax. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was, I needed that moment. That awesome. <laughs> and, and again, but, but again, and I, and I have to say, because I'm not, you know, I, sometimes I have trouble with that sense of humor. I needed the moment of lightness, but I also need my moms out there to go, yeah. we, can't, we can't all be on Xanax. Right. You know, we can't all be on Xanax. And that's, you know, that's, we need some, I want, I need something bigger and deeper. I know from, mm-hmm. just from, you know, I can tell you from PJ Library's perspective of, you know, the concept of PJ Library of Jewish Bedtime Stories in general. That's the opportunity to sit and relax and, and have that moment with your child. No TV, no politics, no radio, no yelling. It's it's the moment of stories. And, you know, we know stories. We know Hanukkah. We know Purim. Stories have, have kept us through um, religiously, Judaically. They've just kept us through. So when we look at our PJ Library stories and we look at what books that we can 
teach our children mm-hmm. from the youngest age on intolerance and mm-hmm. um, anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism you get into when you're in the PJR way, plug, PJR way 9 to 11 year olds, you have, we have books on intolerance and discrimination, but even from the, for anti-Semitism and from the youngest age you of baby intolerance, be kind we have for, exactly, for, for we start toddlers. at the six month old level of trying to teach these values of being Empathy, kind to one another. Kindness. So, you know, that I think as a parent is that relaxing calming, you know, we don't have to be on Xanax, but it's the calming moment of let's just lay in bed with our children and read this story and teach them, you know, our, our however much we can get through to them. And I know as the parent person out here that I need to say, please give yourself permission to nurture yourself as you nurture your children, because we need that self-compassion for ourselves as grown-ups, because that vulnerability is so real when we get to to code yellow. So that bedtime ritual is as much for the parent. Mm -hmm. Um, That time in the Mm -hmm. car, that holding a hand, that being present is as as valuable for the parent as it is for the child. And I would expand that. So I think that's magnificent, the connection that you made, Alana and the intimacy of the moment with a child and a parent in the bed at night telling a story and what we have to create in our families. But I'd exp- the, So the next place I'd expand it is to community. So knowing that you can come to a community center, knowing in this case you come to a synagogue where there's a sanctuary. In my sanctuary, you know, people have to walk through metal detectors to get into our sanctuary on mm. Saturday because we want it. We want to make sure that it's safe. And it's a statement that we're making sure that it's safe. And so then you combine that with ritual. And ritual, age-old ritual. And it creates deeper connection and deeper attachment. And so community and ritual then create a sense of safety, of holy space and safe space. And the storytelling, you know, the, the, the recollection of our, of our history is an important part of it. So tomorrow night's Purim. Right? We're going to be telling a story of a great anti-Semite, the near destruction of the Jewish people. But the story ends pretty powerfully where we turn the tables. And I think telling that story has played a very important role for the Jewish people for generations. And for the Jewish people, when they really were powerless and weak, and that's another part of this story, and that is we're not powerless anymore. And we're not weak. We're influential. We're wealthy. We're we strong. Triumphed. We have a an autonomous state with a powerful army and a powerful economy. So we're really in a good place. So we have these difficult things happening in the immediate. But the bigger picture of the Jewish people today has not been brighter in 2,000 years. That's what gets me most concerned. It seems, <laughs> yeah, famous last words. Right. You know, uh, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, you know, as long as we don't overplay the hand. You're absolutely right. We have and to I, I get a sense sometimes it does happen. With, right, exactly. I think you're absolutely right with that. Look, because in some, in some cases, we, the oppressed, can become the oppressed, mm-hmm. become the mm-hmm. oppressor. That's right. And so that's why we have to learn the lessons. And the lessons aren't just about us. They're about other people, that's right. too. And they're constant reminders. I mean, there were, uh, but but the, to uh, we have to still focus on hope. We have to still focus on those things that there that there has to be as many messages that we're pulling into us um, for hope and optimism and connection. Um, and then I love the idea. I mean, sanctuary. I mean, that should just be the word of the year um, that we create these sanctuary places, whether they be in home, and and but. 
parents are so isolated and lonely now, whether it's through a PJ Federation connection, whether it's through JCC connections, synagogue connections, all the above, and how we then create this thing that says, look, I don't have to do any of this. It's not all on my shoulders. It's on the shoulders of our of ancestors. It's on the shoulders of amazing wisdom and horrible mistakes um, that we can learn from. But so one of the lessons from um, the Holocaust um, is that even in the darkest places, people were able to bring light. So where people were able to continue to celebrate a holiday or study yes. or write, you know, or be together. So I just came from a class that I taught, and I know for that hour, the people in that class studying together, they felt they were removed from what is yes. happening in the larger world. They were, they were away from Fox and MSNBC, for an, and they were doing something that was meaningful in a safe place, and that's a good thing. And we have to create those. I mean, I tell parents all the time, life, I mean, life has never been more stressful for parents, even separate from this conversation. It's like, come to family time. I will give you an hour and a half in a bubble. But, mm. but it's not a bubble that says you never have to face the world. It says you are now fortified and mm. empowered to go back into that world fearlessly with our support and with the connections and friendships that mm. you'll have here. So it is... That I mean, matters. It, and I time. think we all do that every single yeah. day in friendships. But I think there's... The, I want a new awareness that says, oh, yeah... That's what gets me through mm. because, like you said, Dylan, it's not, it is a new world and we weren't prepared for it because mm. we've had lives of privilege and insulation yeah. and all kinds of things. Thank it's God, like, right? Lucky us. Yes. But now we can take right. responsibility for those mm. who are vulnerable or, and, and ask others to be mutually responsible for our care and protection as well. Yeah. So... Um, Asking for help. I don't even know how to do it. You know, that's a... And it's it's a personal journey. Mm. It's it's a it's a gender journey. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think women are just figuring out how to do that in personal lives. Mm. Men are now in a whole new deal, mm. as, especially as fathers. There's no Pew research is saying men's for the very first time are feeling not enough as dads. That's mm. never happened over the three decades that I've worked mm. with parents. So. But I think, but it's a culture that keeps planting seeds of not enough. Wow. And so now, and so we not only have, it's, it's personal, it's families, and it's communities. Mm. Um, okay, a, a, a quickie, and, and then we'll go to the wrap-up. Um, for your children, um, let's just focus one more time. How do you manage the anxiety, the stress, the darkness, and the light? Um, in terms of that dynamic so that your children um, experience the world in the way you want them to. Grown children, grandchildren, or just the, the you know, your, your congregation, Rabbi. Um, darkness and light, the teaching, the... Well, uh, let me speak about personally, not as a rabbi. I have a, a 36-year-old son whose uh, wife is, my daughter-in-law's uh, expecting a baby uh, June 1st. And it's their first child, and they're very tuned in to the world in the ways that we are. And my son said to me this week, you know, he's thinking about the world that he's bringing his baby into. And it's, it's, it's very disconcerting to him. 
And I said, but the truth is, you are bringing your baby into this world. And that, in and of itself, is an expression of hope. And you're going to create the best life possible for your baby. And you're going to give her all the love that you possibly can give her and the direction and make her part of the force that makes this world a better world. And then you're going to have another baby and another baby. And that's our job, you know, those of us who want to make this world a better place, then we're going to keep going in that direction. Yes, 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 a thousand yeses. Um, you know, Rabbi, that's like a great point, and I, I just wanted to, I was also going to say the same type of thing, that anti-Semitism has been around, it's been around for a long time, where it's really, it's it's very prominent right now, but it's been around a long time, and we just keep bringing more Jews back, and we hope that we, you know, marry Jewish, and we bring Jewish children into this world, and we just keep doing that, because we triumph each time, and so whether it be Hanukkah, Purim, and all of our Bible stories, um, we just keep coming back. So, you know, I think that that's something um, that we just keep trying to che- teach our children, and we, we open the conversations if they're needed. We can also, as parents, say, I don't know. And we have a conversation, and we find someone who can have a conversation. Send send the children to ask their zadi. Send the children to yes. mine. Send the children to <laughs> ask their rabbi. You know, or or we ask our rabbi. I need to respond to my child. I don't know how. Could you help me with an answer? And and I think that that's how we're gonna we're gonna balance that. We're gonna balance the two and keep you know sign up for BJ Library and mm-hmm. get all your BJ Library. You books. can give as many plugs. BJLibrary.org. It matters. <laughs> but these books are, I, I, you know, as a parent, as a PJ Library director, they are um, they they have qualities for every subject that you want to discuss at the age appropriate. Level. So. And I'll put my plug in. I mean, PJ is what motivated me to pull this conversation together because mm-hmm. as I was seeing all this stuff pouring into my Facebook feeds, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. now I've got to make it personal and, and really mm-hmm. keep it coming home. And there's an amazing, just sorry, just, yeah, no, there's no, an no, amazing no. blog on pjlibrary.org. That's not my plug, but pjlibrary.org has an amazing blog with many links and many resources, all the names of the books, um, pjourway.org, which is our 9 to 11-year-old children, um, have books on um, all of the intolerance and, and discrimination as well. So, um, you know, they're really great resources. And I have one quick plug and so it's it's and the blog article I pulled up was how to talk to your children about kids about scary situations Mm -hmm. but in that was one other link from Huffington Post about 37 ways to deal Mm -hmm. with your child's anxiety Mm -hmm. and I posted that on my Mm -hmm. Facebook today and my takeaway was because there's not going to be one way Mm -hmm. there's we all respond to anxiety fear helplessness all of that in a million different ways so fine sometimes it's going to be coming to a synagogue. Sometimes it's going to be getting out there in nature. Sometimes it's going to be eating a piece of cake. You know, it's going to be whatever Mm. you need and finding that way to knowing what you need. Erin, wouldn't you say that the first step in dealing with a child's anxiety, especially a little child, is dealing with your own? Mm -hmm. To know our own Mm. feelings, to be able to own Mm. them, to feel them, to share them, that's going to help us. And so this emotional Mm. literacy and this emotional support, I want this for every parent Mm. I know. Because um, we can't help them. We can't. It's that oxygen mask. We can't take care no, of them until never, we know ourselves. I've never heard that before. That's great, and it's so obvious. The first way to deal with your child's anxiety is your own. I always say to, to people, you know, don't yell at them when you're in traffic. It's crazy. You're going to teach a child to react like honking the horn and cursing. It's insane. Yeah. We're but their that, role models. Yeah, of We're course. But it's happens. so obvious. It's kind of thunderstruck, really. Wow. 
So the final wrap-up is always the same. How have you got this for right here, for right now? Um, I'm not sure if this is the wrap-up. I just want to say something. I was meeting with uh, FBI people this week, and what I learned was that there have been, a so there, as of Wednesday, there were 183 bomb threats to Jewish institutions. But what they, what they know so far is that 38 of them came from one person who did it through a robocall. And their success is that they got us all freaked out about it, like there's mm -hmm. anti-Semites coming Terror. out of the woodwork. That's, what, that's when we give them power. Hmm. This guy was making a phone, a robo phone call. He wasn't going to do it. It was his game, and we got all freaked out about it. So our job then, again, is to get to have the information to know what's happening. Okay. And the FBI's job is to find the guy, and then the the judicial uh, system's job is to, in fact, make him responsible for what he does and make him serve that time. Yes. Have you got this? I, I think that, you know, it, it just it goes back to conversations and it goes back to um, our community and we know what we have. And, and as a Jewish community, we are lucky and we have a community. And whether it's your community, your, your school community, your synagogue community, your PJ Library community, your federation community, whatever your community that you find your friends and your people that you can talk to, it's about conversation, and it's about and keep making up. the community bigger and make the because community bigger. The bigger it is, exactly. The more the allies we, we are. have. Dylan. Yeah, I, you know, I, I come away thinking about that. Uh, the key is just not to over, like in anything in life, not to overreact to anything. To understand things happen. These, you know, things move in cycles. There are playbooks for this. There's nothing that's happening now that hasn't <laughs> happened before. You know, the dust out the old playbook and see what to do. Just don't. Go crazy over any one thing. You crazy know. doesn't fix. Crazy. It doesn't fix anything. You need to look at this cold and calculate. You know, just just rationally look at this. What's going on and then act appropriately. Right. This. You know. They say that uh, fear is, comes from a lack of knowledge. Absolutely. Right. So, when you don't know any things, then you you fear them. When you don't know other people, you fear them. So we have to get out there and know people. And it's people. false expectations so often. It's yep. the misinformation of the fear. Let's it's just, the, uh, let's, oh, sorry. Let's just hope that um, a Jew doesn't overreact, over-respond. Because you know, that, that, I mean, you know, that, that could set a chain of events. But, you know, that's something I, I'm concerned about. There's a lot of hair trip, trip you know, hairpin trip. We hope no there. one over, we hope everyone yeah. could be calm, yeah, thoughtful, right, imagine. <laughs> responsible, you know, yeah, I mean, right. yeah, but again, enough, all I can do is be the change. Yeah. I can't, I can't hope that we're yeah, going to be okay. Yeah, right. I can't, I, I can't hope the world won't be crazy. Yeah. <clears throat> the world is crazy. Yeah. Oh, Rabbi, how have you got this? Our fearless leader who has given us wisdom and heart. No, but I, from my perspective, from my place, my job is to create a caring community where people are, um, capable of expressing love. Thank you. And if people would all know that we're here and that that's what we're, that's what we're, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Thank you, Karen. So that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. Seeing little people learn and grow, listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey, loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules, you write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Oh, 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 wait. 
we're growing too. So if you had a great time today, please spread the word to a friend. You can also join our conversation on Facebook. That's with Karen Deerwester. And there's great parenting resources for you at www.familytimeinc.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this lovely space. Thank you, David Dweck, for that sweet voiceover. And thanks to the front and the follow for the song listen. We are listening. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.